Tonight we are in Exodus 29, so let's dive right into this. Last week in Exodus 28, we, we looked at the priestly garments and uh, so many things we saw in there, especially having to do with, with the ephod and the, 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 um, the, the shoulder garments and so forth and the stones that they brought. And we talked about Jesus shouldering us and the Lord bearing us on his chest and us being near to his heart, and we brought the application of us bearing one another burdens, and you know, and having one another on our hearts, and so forth, and so much there. Well, tonight in Exodus twenty-nine, we move into the hallowing or the consecrating of those priests. But because because before these priests could make intercession for the sins of the people with sacrifice, they themselves had to be in a place where they were consecrated or made holy before the Lord. Most of the stuff was outward washings and such that we'll look at. Um, but absolutely, um, there was an inward aspect of this. These men were to be going through these outward motions and they were to be matching that inward desire to have a right heart before the Lord to be able to intercede for the people. And so as we look at this and we see several of these different things that were required of them, there's much application um, towards our walk with the Lord and absolutely the washing and the cleansing that we have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. Kind of along the same lines of, of all the furniture in the tabernacle and these other things that we've looked at. So let's start here in Exodus 29. We'll read the first three verses and we're just going to take a chunk at a time and then we'll have a big chunk, 15 down through about 37 and, and then we'll talk about some of the things we look at here. So it's important and I really, listen, I know when you're reading these big chunks, it's easy to kind of drift, especially when you start getting into these different details and so forth. A lot of these times, this is when, you know, you're doing devotions, you're reading through the Bible, this is the stuff that's easy to start skimming over. But listen, as the old prospectors used to say, there's gold in them, there hills. There's gold in these hills. And uh, you start doing a little mining, you start doing a little digging, you start doing a little gold panning and so forth, and you just start finding gold nuggets everywhere and so there's gold in these hills so let's read it together and I encourage as I read through it you know to 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 read and and as we've been going through this making those connections and so forth you know what say Lord let me pick up on those and there may be things that I don't even touch on that the Lord wants to you know administer to you with because we're just scratching the surface of this and as I say oftentimes it's true listen you can study and even teach the Bible your whole life and when that day you pass away to go to the Lord We'll still just be scratching the surface of Scripture. So it says here, And this is what you shall do to them, and to them is the priest, to hallow, hallow them uh, for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. And so again, these are the priests that are being talked about. They were to be made hollow, which hollow, not hollowed, but hollow, which means to be made holy or to be set apart. So it was a call to set them apart, to be able absolutely to be ministers, first and foremost, remember, unto the Lord. And we'll touch on that again here in a second. And to minister on behalf of the people to be set apart and so again to be set apart it means that you break off from being yoked up to things that aren't glorifying to God and so forth 
I mean, if you think it as a yoke uh, in the scripture, we'll read it here in a second, it talks about not being unequally yoked, but being set apart. It's setting our, our, ourselves apart from, again, the flesh. It's setting our parts, our, ourselves apart from those things that don't glorify God and so forth. And they were coming before the Lord recognizing, listen, I got sin in my own life. There's things in my own life that I'm dealing with as a priest. And no doubt, even back then, there was great spiritual warfare. So the enemy, no doubt, would go after these priests, priests and such. So they were coming for the Lord, just saying, Lord, let me lay this all down, that I could be set apart from you or set apart for you to be used by you. And there's a lot of things, again, that we need to be set apart from. It's not a salvation issue, but again, they were being set apart to be used by the Lord. And I know this, the more that we're set apart from things that are not of the Lord, the more that we can be used by the Lord. And that's not, now if we get set apart from those things and then we get prideful in that, then absolutely we're setting apart from one bad thing and getting yoked up with another bad thing. And I think that's a lot of times the mindset that people get when they start thinking about getting set apart or there's certain people that, you know what, they say, well, I'm really set apart. And there's kind of an arrogance and a pride. And well, actually you're not set apart because you're yoked up with pride now. But I just know this as, as I look at my life and I consider this culture that we're in, it just seems like we are living in a culture where there's just tentacles everywhere trying to get hold of us and get yoked up with us. And I just think there are so many things that we are unequally yoked with. And God absolutely in the New Testament has called us to come out of those things, to be set apart from those things. And I just think that we would all do well to take inventory of our life on a continual basis and, and look and see, look at are, are the things that I'm yoked up with, are they, are they growing me in the Lord? Are they abounding me in the Lord? Or are they hindering my walk with the Lord? Are they making my witness less effective? Sometimes there's things that we're yoked up with. And, you know, if we, if we would just do an, a, a self-analyzation, we find that we're not as joyful. We're not as, as zealous. We're not as mindful of others. Uh, and, and, and listen, that's evidence oftentimes that the things we're yoked up with aren't edifying us and building us up in the Lord. So notice, again, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, and just this idea of being set apart. They were priests to be set apart. Again, Revelation 1, 5, it says, To him who loved us and washed us from all our sins in his own blood, has made us, made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we're kings and priests in Christ. Amen. So we're called to be set apart for him. Again, kings and priests to God. Notice 2 Corinthians 4, or 6, 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and these shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. And I'll be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now listen, this isn't the, the call to salvation. We're saved by grace through faith in the Lord. But again, we are saved unto a relationship with Him. And in a way, this is a conditional promise in the sense of Him saying, listen, come out. And I will be to you as a father. You'll to be, be to me as a son or a daughter. 
And it's that sense of if we don't want to come out of those things, it's really going to strain our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And listen, I'll just speak for myself. I look at my life and I look at the world that we live in and I look in the things that I was, you know what, brought up in as, as you know, most of us is brought up, you know, with media and all these various things. I, I, I think that we are way more yoked up with the world than we even realize it. And again, I'm not saying any of this out of a heart of legalism. Listen, I'm not saying this to, to pound on anybody and to give a list of do's and don'ts, but I want to grow in the Lord. I want to be more useful in the master's hands. I want to have a stronger relationship with my heavenly father. And so I want to be in a place in my own life where I'm not getting deep, more deeply yoked up with the things of the world, being more, being more confirmed, conformed to the world. But I want to be in a place where I'm coming out of that. And so we need to consider that. Are, 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 we, are we setting our lives apart for the Lord? So let's think about that and consider it. I hope you will. Again, hallow them to minister to me as priests. We touched on that. And again, were these kings and priests to be set apart for him? And then notice here, before they could go in and bring sacrifice for the sins of the people, there was sacrifice that they needed made for their own sins. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish, and then unleavened bread and cakes mixed with oil and so forth. And so notice, and we've talked about this, we'll keep talking about it, it was... It was a bull or a, 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 and two rams without blemish. And this goes back to, again, Jesus Christ. And it goes back to 1 Peter 1.17. And if you call on the Father without partiality, judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time you stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver, gold, from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot. Listen, these priests were blemished. Aaron was blemished. Nadab and Abihu and his boys, listen, they were all blemished. We're blemished too, aren't we? We're blemished. We are with spot. We are with blemish. We are sinful. So they needed, again, to have an animal that was considered unblemished, and there were certain requirements to meet that. To say, Lord, take my sin and put it on this beast. I'm blemished, and in my blemished state, I know that I cannot come before an unblemished God. So take my sin and put it on this beast. But again, silver, nor gold, nor any of these unblemished beasts ever took away their sins. It was an act of faith in towards the one who ultimately would, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God without spot, without blemish, once for all, shed his blood for us so that we could be right with the living God. What a glorious thing. Again, unleavened, again, without sin, mixed with oil, speaks of the Holy Spirit. And we know that our Lord Jesus Christ was without sin. And absolutely, he was led by the Holy Spirit of God and all that he did. Now, notice 4 through verse 9. And Aaron and his sons shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments, put a tunic on Aaron, and the robe of the ephod, the ephod, and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately, intricately woven band of the ephod. And you shall put the turban on his head, and put the holy crown on the turban. And we read about all that stuff last week and talked about it. And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons 
and put tunics on them, and you shall and and you shall gird them with sashes. Aaron and his sons shall put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. You shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. So again, they put the garments on. It's a picture of them being clothed with righteousness. And remember, we saw last week that they were to put a trousers on so that none of their flesh would even be shown as they walked into the tabernacle. And again, absolutely, the only way that we can have any relationship with the Lord is that we are clothed with righteousness. Because flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. And absolutely, in and of our flesh, we have no right standing before God Almighty. Whether it's just flesh in the sense of our sinful actions, or probably even the more wicked fleshly act, People trying to be justified in their own actions, trying to set up their own self-righteousness. That's far more of a grievous sin before the Lord than the other. I mean, you know what? Jesus took the Pharisees to task, did he not, who actually thought in themselves they could be holy before a holy and sinless God. Romans 11, 13, it says, do this knowing that the time is now Knowing that it's now, knowing the time, that it's now high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off works of the darkness. And notice here, let us put on the armor of light. And let us walk properly, not in the day, and revelry, and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. And notice verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So there's application for us here. Let's put on the Lord Jesus Christ versus fulfilling the lust of the flesh. They absolutely put these garments on. It covered their flesh. As they went through this process of being consecrated, it set them apart to make them righteous or in right standing before God to go do the work of the ministry. Notice as well in verse 6, he says, you shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban and praise God the king of kings the lord of lords went to the cross so that we could be a a royal people and we touched on some of these verses but I just want to touch it on again here quickly first Peter 2 9 and notice again are you in Christ tonight can you say amen to that then listen know who you are in him this is who you are in him amongst many other things you are a chosen generation you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, you are his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his, isn't this wonderful, not just light, but into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So we're a royal priesthood, and listen, with being part of the royal priesthood, there's crowns that come with that. And the scripture speaks of crowns and so forth. And my mind just goes to Revelation 4.10 where it says the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by you uh, and by your will they exist and were created. And these crowns that he has given to us, again, let's take them and cast them at his feet and give him all glory and honor and praise. And that's how, we, that's how we stay with a heart of humility. We come to him with a heart of humility. 
Again, we, we come to him as we talked about in communion, um, you know, with a contrite heart. And he exalts us from a sinful state to a safe state, from a place of shame to a place where we need not be ashamed of the Lord. And he's bore our shame. And then absolutely, you know, in that place now of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now do we get cocky and arrogant and all that? No, now we take that crown and we lay it at his feet and we say, listen, without him, I'm nothing. To him be the glory and honor. And absolutely, we want to walk in that call that he has for us. And so we take the crowns, we cast them at his feet. Also, here it talks about a perpetual state. Basically, that's a call of a continual state of communion with the Lord. A perpetual state of, of, of you know what? The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. So it was this call for them to continue on, to, to be in that place of, of this ongoing relationship with the Lord. And praise God in Christ, we have security in Him. And we have an ongoing perpetual salvation that's secured through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious thing that is through our high priest Himself. Let's read 10 down through verse 14. It says, you shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat uh, that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them, and burn them on the altar. And believe it or not, for them, the fat was the best part. And so they burned it on the altar to the Lord. But the flesh of the bull with its skins and its offal, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. So notice, again, they took their hands and they put it on the bull, and the bull then was sacrificed. And basically that was saying, Lord, we know we're with blemish. We know that we are sinners. And so we ask you right now to take our sin and to put it on this beast. And then again, the beast died for their sin or the sacrifice died for their sin. And isn't it amazing how, again, all this points to Jesus Christ. All of it pointed to him. And yet when he came, so many of them were blinded to him. Even though it was all, they, they learned this stuff their whole life. And there was an understanding that the Messiah was coming. And even scriptures that spoke of this and so forth. And it was all right before him. And yet in his first coming, the people that again had first dibs on all of this, the majority of them couldn't see it. You know he's coming soon again? Do we see it? Let's see it, amen? Let's know it. Because it seems there's a growing blindness when it comes to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's five times more prophecies concerning that. And he is coming soon. So the hands on the bull, the bull was killed before the Lord. Again, praise God, Jesus, his hands were pierced for us and his blood was shed for us. Notice as well, these things that they took and they burned with fire, it was outside of the camp and it was a sin offering. And indeed, Jesus was crucified outside of the camp. Jesus was crucified outside of the walls of the city for our sin. And this is why you go to Israel today, you can know for sure that the church of the Holy Sepulcher is not where Jesus was crucified because it's within the walls of the city. 
my son's commentary on the Church of the Holy Sepulchre when we went to Israel was, Dad, I think that was the evilest place in all of Jerusalem. I mean, it is, it is, a, there is a darkness in that place. Because you just see men with big robes on and big hats running around saying, you need to be saved through the law. And you see people coming in, evangelical Christians who should know better, bowing down and kissing the floor where they say this is where the cross was. But it was outside of the camp. And I'll tell you the exact opposite. You go to the garden tomb where Golgotha is, where it even talks about there was a garden in that where, where Golgotha was and most believe that the very tomb there, this empty, is the one that Christ was, was laid, laid in, which Joseph of Arimathea owned. He was incredibly wealthy, and there's a, there's a cistern there that a wealthy man would own and so forth. And I'll tell you, it is the most, in my opinion, that, that and the Temple Mount, but I'm going to go with Golgotha because without that, the Temple Mount is of no good to us. To me, it was just the most beautiful place. And it's the only place in all of Jerusalem that's actually ran by evangelical Christians that are saved by grace through faith outside of the walls. Hebrews 10, 13. And if you go to Israel, we, we're not going to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. I went once, that's good enough for me, but we're going to the other one. We'll walk by that one. But Hebrews 10, 13, it says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside of the camp. Again, this is Hebrews talking about what we're reading way back in Exodus. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruits of our lips giving thanks to his name but do not forget to do good and share for with such sacrifice God is well pleased so again all this went on but it was fulfilled in Jesus being sacrificed out the outside of the camp it is finished in Christ we are forgiven but then what sacrifice do we bring in that we bring a sacrifice of praise we bring a sacrifice again of generosity of, of wanting to live selflessness as our Savior lived a selfless life and He laid it down absolutely for us. You guys ready for a marathon? 15 through 37. I appreciate any little prayers under your breath so that I can kind of... This is where you want like, then the tape comes on and just reads this and I can kind of stand there and go, yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's get into it here. We're going to read it, and then we're just going to touch on a couple things. I really don't know if we'll get to Exodus 30, but let's read it together here. And, and, and try, to, try to follow along. I know about verse 22, it's easy to drift. And I know that's not because you're not here for God's word. Listen, you came out on a Wednesday night to hear God's word. What an awesome thing. And, uh, you know, fairly full room here. You know, come out to hear the word of God, but... Let, let's ask the Lord, help us to follow through. Let's, let's, let's look at this. Let's study it. Let's at least, at least take it in and try to follow along to, to what's being talked about here. So in verse 15, he says, You shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, watch its entrails and its legs, 
and put them with the pieces and with its head, and you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So kind of what we just looked at, but with the ram here for his sons. But again, it was sweet unto the Lord because, again, they were humbling their hearts, acknowledging their sin, acknowledging they needed a Savior. And that's a sweet thing to God when men humble their hearts. And how, how much more the sweeter when people call upon Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. What a sweet thing. 19, you shall also take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of that ram, and you shall kill the ram and take some of the blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of their right hand, the big toe of their right foot. And some says, what do they have? A, they don't have a, a big toe. Well, then they weren't qualified to be a priest. And there's a whole bunch of stuff on that. But anyhow, and the sprinkle the blood all around the altar. And you shall take some of the blood that's on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments and his sons on the garments of, of his sons with them. And he and his garments shall be hallowed and his sons and his sons' garments with them. Notice here, again, they need to be covered by the blood. And we're covered by his blood. And that's why we talk about this. Life's in the blood. We're covered by the life of Jesus Christ. What a glorious thing. And to know that we know, again, without spot, without blemish. 22, down through 25. It says, you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, and the right, th- the right thigh, uh, for it is a ram of consecration, one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, and one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord, and you shall put these in the hands of Aaron and the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. And you shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. So literally, a wave offering, again, without leaven, they would take it and they would burn it unto the Lord. They're saying, look, if we're going to take this, again, a, a picture of our sins need to, be, they, they, they need to be taken away. We're bringing it before God. Verse 26, and you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration, and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And from the ram of the consecration, you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering, which is waved, and the thigh and the heave offering, which is uh, raised, of that which is for Aaron and of that which is for his sons. It shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a statue forever. And for it is a heave offering, and it shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, that is, their heave offering to the Lord. And a heave offering speaks again. It was offered, but it was their portion. We'll talk more about that here in a second. Verse 29. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them, that the son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister minister in the holy place. So again, these garments were to be passed down. That's why they were made so well. That's why, again, they were put together the way that they were. They used high quality. It was to be passed down, good stewardship here and so forth. And no doubt for that son to take those garments of his father would even bring more of a weightiness to it, you know. 31, 
And you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. Then Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat those things with which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But the outsiders shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any flesh of the consecration offerings or the bread remains until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I've commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them. And you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it. And you shall anoint it. Uh, anoint it to sanctify it seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it and the altar shall be most holy whatever touches the altar must be holy now again we commented on a lot of this but notice they had a portion and there was part of the sacrifice again that was brought before the lord it was it was it was cooked and then they took it and they ate it these things this wasn't a wasteful practice you know this wasn't just them you know, it's sacrificing these beasts and it all just being wasted. But this was taken to be used for provision for the Levites. This was the food that they ate and so forth with the offerings that were brought. And absolutely, as they were priests, they were called to the ministry. They were set aside for this purpose. They were to, again, to basically get their livelihood from that. And I won't spend a lot of time on this, but this is also a, a New Testament concept. I, I know there's some people that say, listen, pastors shouldn't be paid. They shouldn't, you know, they shouldn't be paid to do what they do. Well, listen, let me tell you something about that. Oftentimes you get what you pay for. And I can tell you this, if I was working a full-time job, which I have pastored and worked a full-time job, and God's grace is sufficient... And, and he absolutely will strengthen you in that if he calls you to that. But it is very, very, very difficult. And I know that absolutely Bible studies are more effective when pastors actually have 10, 15 hours to put into those studies. And counseling, a lot more counseling gets done when they actually have time to counsel versus a 40-hour work week trying to minister to their family and then come and do counseling and such. And I can tell you this, uh, and listen, God has blessed me over the years, and so th this is not said at all about, about not being provided for, but I can tell you this, I could come here and I could work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, easily. There's always stuff to do. There's always stuff to get done. And uh, it's, it's a great blessing as a pastor and, and pastors and other folks in our church uh, who, who absolutely, you know, part of those tithes and offerings goes to their livelihood. And, and I think that we're very blessed with, again, you get what you pay for. I think there's folks that have been given gifts that God's using here. And it's not that folks that aren't in that place aren't used of the Lord uh, because they are as well. But this is God's intention. And, and God makes it very clear. See, God's a just judge. And he's just. And a labor is worthy of his wage. No matter what that labor is. And some people say, well, what about Paul? Paul didn't get paid. Paul chose not to get paid. Paul was worthy of, of getting paid for everything that he did, but he chose not to. It wasn't that God said, Paul, don't get paid. He chose not to get paid because he said, listen, there's so many false teachers. 
There's so much leaven. I don't want to give any of them anything against me, so I'm going to go and I'm going to do it for free. And listen, in my personal opinion, and again, this is just an opinion, it may in a sense been costly, and, and, and I don't want this to sound sacrilegious or anything, but Paul was a man like us. In some sense, it kind of, I think to some of these people, it cheapens Paul's ministry in their mind. Because Paul, when starts the church, goes and starts, starts the church in Corinth free of charge, false teachers come in behind him to loot the people, and they pay attention to the people that are looting them because they think, well, we're paying for this. What Paul brought was free. And that had to do a little bit with their mindset. And times you, a lot of times you get what you pay for. Is that not true? And again, that's not to say if there's a pastor that works a job and is pastoring. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, boy, you know, don't listen to that guy. But I do know this, that again, you get oftentimes what you pay for. And listen, any fellowship that's starting out or get, gets going, their first objective should be to get that pastor in a place where he's getting their pay, a paycheck before anything else because they are going to get more blessed from that. They're going to get more out of that and so forth. 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be worthy, counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. The labor is worthy of his wage. And the Levites, listen, they lived off the tithes and offerings and the sacrifices from the other tribes. And I feel very, very, very blessed to be part of a church that understands these things and out of a fellowship that we don't even have to pass the basket around. There's a couple boxes on the doors and in 20 years or 19 years, going on 20 of being the senior pastor here, there hasn't been a day that's gone by or a week that's gone by or a month that's gone by that God has not supplied the needs of this fellowship. It's been an amazing thing. In fact, there were days when it was like, okay, we need $5,000 this week to be able to pay the mortgage and pay these three bills. And, and, and I knew that the tithe that week would be somewhere about $5,200, and there it was. And I knew it without ever knowing who gave what, and I still don't know that to this day, and thank you, Lord, for that, but just knowing the faithfulness of God, always supplying the need. One last thing here, and then we'll close on this last little section. He says, whatever touches the altar must be holy, so that the, the altar was holy, and again, we'll talk... Lord willing, the next time more about the way they made the altar holy and so forth. So something unholy, if it touched the altar, it made it unholy. And then they'd have to consecrate it as well. But have you noticed that if there's something that's, that if something's unholy and it touched it, again, it would be made unholy. But if something holy touches something that's unholy, it doesn't make it unholy. Uh, uh, They're both unholy. And think about your life in that. Again, we, not, we need the touch of the Lord, and it's Him that washes us and cleanses us. But unholy things absolutely can defile us and infect us. And absolutely come against that call to be set apart for Him. And I know, again, we're living in, in a time where I think in some sense people have a better understanding of grace, but in a lot of sense they have a lack of understanding of it. Because they just say, hey, grace, since there's grace, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it. And, and, and in grace, you can if you're really saved. If you say I can do whatever I want to do and you don't want the Lord to be your master, then that stuff's your master and you may have a salvation issue going on here. But again, we're, we're set apart to want to serve Him. 
And yes, I'm covered by grace and I'm saved, but that doesn't mean I can just go partake of whatever or whatever here and it ain't going to affect my walk. It is. And listen, Jesus died for me. I want to live for the Lord. I, want, I don't want to walk in the bondage of the sins that Jesus died to save me from. And our attitude should never be, Jesus died to save me from these sins so I can just go walk and partake in them. If that's your mindset, please check your heart because you've you got to ask, is Jesus your Lord then? How can you not know him and not want to serve him and walk with him and love him and honor him? 30 through 46. Now this is what you saw. Can you believe I thought maybe we get to chapter 30? What am I thinking here? Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs of the first year, notice here, day by day continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. When one lamb with, uh, with one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephod of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and you shall offer it with a grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma and an offering made by fire to the Lord. This, you sh this shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I meet with you to speak with you. So it's in front of the Holy of Holies. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting of the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests, and I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And again, notice here, day after day, continually, morning, evening, nonstop, over and over and over and over and over again, and yet none of it ever took away their sin. Hebrews 9.11, But Christ came as high priest as the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place, notice here, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And it goes on just to speak of the greatness of the blood of Jesus. Once and for all, we are washed, we are cleansed, we are forgiven. It's done. What a glorious thing. Notice as well, and we'll close on this, listen, they went to the door of the tabernacle to do this, but only the high priest could, again, could go to the Holy of Holies once a year, but Jesus did it once for all, and we have access to the Holy of Holies at all times, and we can come boldly because of his shed blood shed for us once for all. That we can come boldly even when we are at the lowest of the low, when we are, again, heaped down with shame and struggles and so forth, he says, come boldly because I bore your sin and I bore your shame and I shed my blood for you and you're seen through the shed blood of the Lamb. So come and now cast that care upon me so I can give you help in your time of need. And you know when that is? It's every day and every moment of every day. We need his help. And he says, let me give it to you. Heavenly Father, we praise you tonight. We glorify you. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. And Jesus, we thank you for the new covenant. And we thank you, God, as we look at the old, we look at, again, Lord, the shadow. It just points us to the substance. What a wonderful thing, God, that we can read through these pages and we just see Jesus. We see you, Lord. We see what you've done for us. And then, Lord, as you are holy, you've called us to be holy. We see the call that you have on us, God. And we thank you that you're 
yoke is easy and your burden is light. We thank you, God, that your commandments, Lord, they're, they're not burdensome. And Lord, we want to absolutely be filled with the Spirit of God tonight. And God, be strengthened by you to walk in the call you've placed on us. Listen, if you're here tonight and you haven't called on Jesus, we've talked about this throughout our Bible study here tonight. We're sinners. Our sin separates us from God Almighty. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He laid down his life so that we could have salvation if we put our faith in him to be our Lord and our Savior. It's the asking of Jesus to be the Lord of our life, to rule our life. And if he is our Lord, that means we turn from whatever our Lord is. We say, this is no longer my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. I put my trust in him. That's what repentance is. We're turning to him to be the Lord of our life, wanting to be led by him, governed by him, guided by him, by his scriptures and so forth. But we're saved through him, by grace, through faith in him. And if you haven't called on him, listen, today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable time. Call on the Lord. Humble your heart before him, and he will absolutely meet you where you are at, even right now. Bless the rest of our night, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and we said together, amen. God bless you.